Hi, and welcome to Unapologetic Women, a podcast about current affairs, culture, politics, life, and how we got here. Brought to you by Tony and Saoirse. Hi, darling. Hello. Hello. It is chilly. <laughs> it's very cold. It's cold here in California, and I know people, you're going to be like, shut the fuck up. You're shut up. <laughs> yeah, shut down. <laughs> Sorry to all you Californians who are like, yeah, it's 61. It's my... <laughs> Trying to get the jumpers 28, up. <laughs> okay? For our English followers or non-Fahrenheit That's what, six people, degrees? It's, twen- it's like negative two. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bitch, it's cold. Shut up. It's fucking cold. It's like hat weather. I had a question for you that you asked me to ask you. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. How many Christmas movies are made each year? On average, do you think? Or, and or, how many Christmas movies do you think were made this year for Christmas? It's a wild fucking number. So, fun fact, in the, since this conversation that I asked Tony to not ask me <laughs> I've this now question, watched. <laughs> I have literally watched three um, of these new Christmas movies, um, none of which I would endorse. So... I will not shit on them publicly because everyone's taste in Christmas is their own taste. Uh, but how many do I think? Given that I've watched three that came out this year. In a week. And it's not even December. Oh, my God. Is it, is it north of 100? It's, it's definitely three figures. Let's go with 170. 173. Oh, very close. This year, 162 Christmas movies came out. And in 2021, a record-breaking number of films with Christmas in the title came out. More than 200 new festive feature films, and I'm reading, obviously, and TV movies, TV movies naming the holiday are listed on the Internet Movie Database, IMDb, for release in 2021. That has quadrupled since 2011. Wow. Isn't that fucking wild that we're making four times more Christmas movies? I don't know what that says about us. <laughs> I think it says that the it's the streaming services that need to have a certain amount of content so that people feel overwhelmed. If you're listening, anyone out there from Netflix or Hulu, overwhelmed when they get into the application. Um, you have to keep up with that. But and we're also not even, well, I am not even thinking here about the hallmark films which weirdly ties into what i wanted to talk to you about today fuck yeah let's go every hallmark film i swear or at least maybe it's just who i am all of them have a weird tie to politics we had one we were down at my um my partner's family's for thanksgiving and his mom loves the hallmark channel at christmas so do i i'm here for it I don't even know. I think I know what the Hallmark Channel is. Oh, okay. That's a totally fair point because I didn't until I moved here either. So yeah. this. So maybe define yeah. that. Yeah. So there is a thing called the Hallmark Channel in America. And yeah, I think it's from like November 1st until like January 1st. Oh, it's seasonal. Okay. They play Christmas films literally like every hour on the hour. And it's like a thing. It's like a thing. There's like these Hallmark Christmas movies and they all have like the same kind of plot line. 
Are you Googling this? I really need... Yes, okay. But I'm not actually sure what's on the Hallmark Channel the rest of the year because it does still exist, but, like, it's not Christmas. Or maybe it is. Maybe I'm I'm wrong here, but I know from November to January. Um, God, yeah. All that to say, they tend to have this, like, arc of handsome man who helps the small town community that has a deceased wife and has a small child and is looking for love again, but is not ready yet. I'm sorry, that's the tagline storyline of Lilo, Lindsay Lohan's movie. Oh, 100%. 100%. As we were watching it, that was one of the three, Craig was like, so this is just like a Hallmark movie with Lindsay Lohan. And I was like, oh my God, it is. Also, in that film, the mayor has a central role. Oh. Politicians, especially local politicians, because it's always like these like small local towns where yes. like the mayor is everyone's friend and they know people and they give back to the ki- which is just not the reality <laughs> that we live in. And it's so, well, I don't know why, but maybe it's a comforting thing. It's like people, you know, want that. It's an ideal. It's very like... You know, little boxes, American dream vibe. Only you could fucking tie Christmas movies into politics. Only you. So, but it, but it's so spot on. It stares you in the face. So the one, the one that I came into the house on Thanksgiving that we had that was on, there was a guy who is a consultant in DC, and he was returning back to his small town for Thanksgiving, <laughs> and his candidate had just lost. And they were blaming him because he was the writer. And I was like, come on, the speechwriter? It's his fault? Cool. Uh, but th- and then he gets back to his small town. And the mayor needs someone to help him run his race. And it was just like the whole... And the love story is all interweaved into this campaign. And I was like, what is what is happening? Um, oh, so. interesting. <laughs> on that note, politics <laughs> and political elections. <laughs> Let's talk campaigning. Political elections. Yes. So we've just wrapped up a very busy we have. Um, midterm season in the United States, for those listening. Midterm elections happen in between the presidential years. So we will be rolling into, God, it's depressing to say out loud, but we will be rolling into the presidential cycle now come February is when we're going to start to see announcements. Um, we've already had one. It's what, is that like a full two years, isn't it, ahead of... Of the election, which Literally. is crazy for any other country. I think that's unheard of. February is when we're going to start to hear people popping up. That you know, people are going to be making really important stops to different, really small towns in New Hampshire and Iowa because they're thinking about running for president. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're thinking um, about the green beans lobbyists or the green bean lobby or the chocolate lobby or the milk lobby, and yeah. Honestly, yes, we really care today about the farmers. Like, okay, cool. Glad that you're running for office. Um. And so anyways, so we had midterm elections and they are very important in the United States uh, because it decides who is going to be in charge of the Senate and the House. And so we had a change of power. We have the Democrats that are now in charge of the Senate, which is good for many reasons if you support the Democrats, uh, because it leads to less gridlocks in government where there is one party who's actually in power as opposed to having a gridlock. We then saw the Republicans actually take back the House. And so they are now in charge of the House. So we have this president. So if we think about the actual like structure of US government, we have the president, Democrat, we have the House, the House Republican, and then we have the Senate that is Democrat. 
And so by just maths, the president's agenda should be able to move at a faster pace because his party is in power in the Senate. So that's like very top level of what took place in the midterms. But when I was looking at this, because I knew that you and I were going to talk about it, there were some things that struck me. Let's put it that way. One was that abortion was one of the main issues on the ballot, even if it wasn't in a ballot referendum question. It was one of the most talked about things across all of the United States in the midterm elections. And there was a piece from NPR. It was the major issue in the US midterms. And it had a dramatic impact on how people turned out. Yeah, shock horror. Women care about their rights and reproductive rights and healthcare. Who who would have thought? Surprising. Who would have thought? Novel. Novel. Novel context. No, but it is true. You're, you're spot on, Sosha, bringing that up in that everyone thought that that was going to be a really polarising thing and a thing that wouldn't work. And it happened. It so happens that it sounds like it really fucking did work in favour of those who believe that women should have a right over their own bodies. Oh, completely. And tied to that, there is a piece. So I was deep in one of my favorite things to do when I'm looking at especially local elections is to get an understanding of like the demographic makeup. Mm. And so like how many women ran, how many people were uncontested, how many of those women were Republicans or first time um, first first time people running for office, etc. And that data is really, really hard to find. And it's a big part of the problem uh, when you're looking at people who are maybe thinking about running for office. They're trying to get a lay of the land of who's run before them, what their chances are as a first-time woman running, um, what the you know voter makeup is of, of their particular district that they want to run for. And I, as someone who is obsessed, who can literally correlate Christmas and politics, I had a really hard time finding it. And so the, the one that I felt comfortable using as an actual valid okay. source, was the Center for American Women and Politics through uh, Rutgers. And so they did a small recap, and they've acknowledged it themselves. Um, and this was updated October 25th. So this was updated not when we had results. This was just the makeup of actual candidates. Um, and they started this research project in January of 2021, for the midterms wow. happening in November of 2022. So almost two years in the making, yeah. Almost two years in the making, exactly. And so some things that I'll pull out of it, it's a massive report, we'll link to it. Um, but things that I thought were f- fucking fantastic as someone who wants to see more women in office, we need it. Um, Asian American women set a new record as candidates for governor, but not for the US Senate or the US House. At least 30 Asian American Pacific Islander women are major, were major, party candidates for the US House. This, though, was short of their previous record that was set, which was 40 in 2020. So we actually saw a decrease in Asian American women running for office. There's a lot of theory here on why that is increase in violence in Asian Americans in particular. In 2020, seeing a lot of people step up for that community, there being a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, pushback to them being in office. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like slapping the air here. 
the pandemic, I'm sure, had a had a role here to play of needing to stay at home, look after the kids. And we know that that falls primarily on women as well. So I can only imagine that that had an Absolutely. impact. Absolutely, Tony. That data point, by the way, how many women in office are pregnant or have children? I can't find it. I literally cannot find it. I wonder it. if it is it because it is it because no one has cared enough to like get that data. Pro- probably, Genu- like it genuinely could it's, be Tony. And this is a small like parenthesis, but I thought it was really interesting, tied to the experience that you just have of trying to find this data. I was chatting with um, Benedict on an, another podcast because he's a data analyst, so he's always trying to look for first party data and information to create theories and to try and understand how things are moving. And he says the most frustrating thing when you're looking for data is when the data that you're looking for all of a sudden changes. So for five, 10 years, they define something a certain way. And then all of a sudden, the company decides to define it another way. So it means that comparing data of today from yesterday becomes really fucking tricky. And my immediate question was, is this done on purpose to skew data or to make it harder to actually make an understanding? And he's like, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's people don't care enough about data and data analysis that they know not to change and define something so that you can compare it over time or if it's done purposefully so it makes it harder to actually find what you're fucking looking for fuck which was so interesting because he's like it's not the first time this comes up all the time you're looking for a certain piece of information and all of a sudden they go oh well we've stopped calculating something like this or we've stopped defining something like this or the age demographic all of a sudden has changed and you're like oh for god's sake for 50 years you were looking at age groups let's say from 16 to 20 and then 21 to 29 and now all of a sudden you're doing 16 to 24 and you're like this doesn't fuck like how am I supposed to find the data so I just thought that was really interesting based on what what you're saying there of just like where is this data how do you make sense of it where how do you find it but, and Tony, the same is true for looking back at this data set. Like, we have this 2000, the, or what's referenced in this report is 2012, is the earliest data set where they've broken it down. So this is obviously, we just talked about Asian American women. We have black women, Latin, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, Native American, and then white women. These are the category breakdown that this report has. And it only goes back to 2012 is that because there wasn't enough women running prior for it to be an interesting data point or to your question earlier no one is it no one cared no one cared no one was looking for that data no one was asking the question how many women are running if it decreased it decreased sorry for that first category of women has is that the same across the board for everyone or has is there anywhere in one category where that number has actually gone up black women yay okay went up So new record for candidates for U.S. House, U.S. Senate and governor in 2022. So there was at least 134 black women that were major party candidates. So we're talking Democrat, Republican um, for the U.S. House. This was a new record. At least 22 black women are major party candidates for U.S. Senate. Again, new record. And at least 12 black women were major party candidates for governor. Again, new record. So across the board, this is true in some instances for uh, Latina and Hispanic women, where it varies is in the US Senate, they had a previous record of two, which was set in 2020. Uh, Sorry, other way around. They had a previous record of three in 2020. And they had two this time around. Um, Then when you come down to white women. So 
at least 322 white women were major party candidates for US House. This was short of the previous high of 350. Not massively different, but still short. Then 39 were in the race for US Senate. Again, short, 42. However, on the gubernatorial side, we're at 49. This was a new record, but they don't have the data for when it was what the last one was. They just say this is a new record. This is the, All of the other breakouts have the specific number of 2020, but at least 49 white women are major party candidates for governor. This is a new record, period. I'm like, I, I want so much more. I want to... <laughs> like, 49? That's massive. There's 50 states. We had 49 white women on the ballot to run for governor? It's, cra- it's, it's wild. How many women... Do we have the total? How many women in total? How many women in total of what? Oh. Ran no. this year. In the middle... So you'd have to do that. You can do that maths yourself, I guess. Yeah, but I also, hmm, I wonder if because this is also looking at major parties. So we're isolating out independents. We're isolating out Green Party. We're isolating out people who aren't running uh, on under a political affiliation. And so that number is really hard to find again and again and again. Oh, interesting. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, just in terms of like give painting a picture, is this concept of unopposed. And so for people listening, what this means is that this is people who are running and no one is contesting their race. They are, as long as they show up and they put their name on the ballot to run again, they win. So in this race, we had 17 incumbents, so people who were in office previously, that had no opponent. Of that 17, 14 were Republican and three were Democrat. Wow. Honestly. What does that say? Like, how do you interpret that in a way that's not too biased? Well, the geographical location is important. So Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Texas, Wyoming. Pennsylvania, Texas, Wyoming, South Dakota. Right? The three... Uh, Democrats, California, all three. And so, what are the reasons for going on as an incumbent? Like, what are the reasons for being uncontested? Is it truly that there's a lack of people? Is it that you're so fucking good that no, everyone's just like, no way, I can, I can beat that? Is it that you've got so much money that it's like, no way, I can beat that? Is it like you're, you're disheartened to try and run because that place is so corrupt? Like, is it good or is it bad? I think I'm trying to get to, and I know it's not that black and white, but it's going to be both. It's going to be either, you know, if we look at it with a glass half full, they've done really good for their district. We have no term limits on this. So you literally have people, Nancy Pelosi, in the House that were at JFK's inauguration that are still in the House, right? That I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's we wild. need term limits, right? So the, the, like, there's, there's that piece of just like term limits are a thing and people just like, it's my seat. And party politics. If you are going to challenge an incumbent, you are not getting financial resources from that state party. You are not getting support for fundraising. You are not getting field staff support. So you are at a disadvantage from the get-go. 
you're not receiving endorsements from, if you're on the Democratic side, from the unions that play a big role in your particular um, district. If you're on the Republican side, maybe it is you know specific PACs that you want funding, but they're not going to give it to you. They're going to give it to the incumbent. And so that is where you see kind of the fear piece that you talked about, Tony, of people like, well, I can't run because it's now. Who's, what Democrat is challenging Nancy Pelosi? Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's wild. And then you also have the, um, you know, they have, they've done really well for their district. And so people don't want change. That truly could be a thing. And it's then worked this long. Why, why, why shake it? Why, why change it? it? But then you also have just the lack of engagement the lack of desire for people to want to run for office because right now it is what it is brutal it is an unthankful especially in the house you're unless you are you know marjorie taylor green who no one wants to be sorry if folks like her that are listening you're not on a national pedestal and so you 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 have this like you have to go to dc twice like it's not a particularly glamorous job it reminds me of working in the European Parliament. Um, you're representing your country, which means that you're going back and forth between your country or your location, your geographical location, and Brussels, where you don't generally want to be, but a lot of people do fall in love with it. But it's thankless because you're representing the voice of your people, but your people are like, but you're spending all of your time in Brussels and you have to be in Brussels to and do the lobbying that's necessary. That. And yeah, All the time you get that. Yeah, so that was interesting listening to you there. I was like, oh, I, I, I know what this is comparable well, to a European level. Anyway. Tony, in the States, and I'm sure, you know, there are some places in Europe that is that flight as well, but the six-hour flight for California into D.C. Not at all. And there are budgets that you have to stay within as an elected official. And so, but this, what this does, the same way where you have market consolidation is it stifles innovation. It does not allow for the people, your constituents, to stand up and say, hey, fucking, I need you to do something. I need you to change my taxes. I need you to improve the schools in our district. I need you to get more funding. Because you are an incumbent who hasn't been contested for 15 years. This is so interesting that you bring that up, the like, the lack of innovation piece, because... You obviously know way more about American politics than I do, which is why I always love learning this stuff from you. The one thing that I can like add to it is I can. It's been fascinating to see how candidates at this level have utilized social media, because the social media platforms, whether that's Twitch, mm. whether that's TikTok, whether that's Instagram, YouTube, I think have allowed for that democratization of running for office a little bit, because it's not as expensive, I think, to run a fun, quirky ad campaign or a couple of memes. And it was interesting in this in in this last wave of campaigns of just watching how people were getting creative and you could see which candidates had a Gen Z team that were being very smart with the tools that they were given and the platforms that exist and the teams that were going at it the traditional way. Um, Jules Turpak, who I think now works for the Washington Post um, or creates content for the Washington Post, did this great debrief or breakdown of the modern political campaign and it was all about the memification and look, she said the glass half full side of it is people are getting creative, everyone has access to these tools and these social media platforms. The negative side of it is it's pretty fucking weird. Like we had this guy, um, I'm trying to find, I opened it up early on, we had this guy, um, Ken for Florida, Ken Russell, who basically used a feature on TikTok of this where you can 
stitch an existing TikTok. And it's basically this young, beautiful woman who sort of bends down. And as she bends down, he pops up on the screen and goes, hey, now that I have your attention, can we talk about running for off? And it was genius. It was fucking smart. He wasn't put to, and it's, I will share it with you, Sorsh, and I will link it as well. It was some of the best political campaigning I had seen, which is, I'm not pretending I understand this platform, but I know what the platform is good for. And and I could see the amount of people who'd watch this. And don't get me wrong, stunning woman comes close, bends down. And then the moment he bends down, it's edited to perfection where he's there going, hi, so now that I've got your attention, can you come up on the screen with me? Okay, so, and I'm running, and you just look at this and go, you know what, mate, fucking A plus. <laughs> like, well done, bud. Well done. Well fucking done. But there's <laughs> well, the other side of it, which we saw things between Dr. Oz and the guy that he was running. The Twitter oh, battles God. happening live and you go, is this what it's come to? We watched Donald Trump. So there's something really interesting about the next era of campaigns. But the one thing, and there's so much more we can say about that. But the one thing that I wanted to jump on based on what you just said is it, this is one of the reasons why it's so hot. we have so many incumbents that are running up against basically no one because A, it's thankless. You need a fuck ton of money. It's really hard to get in. And I'm hoping maybe a little bit more naively, but I'm hoping that the more people use these social platforms, the more we're actually going to have more people go, fuck it, I can do this. I don't need that much money. I don't need the connections from within. Um, and I can go viral. And truly, that he didn't win that election, but that video was seen by millions and tens of millions of people. Well, it's really, I'm so glad that you brought that up because one of the other things that excited me, I think, about the midterms, was that we had 27% of young people cast their ballot. And that turnout marks the second highest youth voter rate in the past 30 years. And so there's a piece from Alexi Cohen in WGBH on basically like, what is driving this? Why are these young people coming out to the polls for the first time? In, in particular in midterms, it is not where you see that body, right? Like 18 to kind of 25 just don't show up in midterms. They'll show up in presidentials because like they know that that's the thing that they need to do. And so you've got, um, there's a piece here where it says, young people who may not have thought of voting in midterms seem to come out in a large number and decidedly chose Democratic candidates across the governor, in particular in House, Senate and gubernatorial races. And so this is from Kawashmina Ginsburg, in particular looking at the greater Boston um, area. But she goes on to continue to say about what is driving these folks to the polls. Mm. Issue-based voters, like abortion, like climate change, like gun violence. These are all issues that a number of experts have come together and identified as key drivers of getting young people out to the polls. And so when you when you pair that with virality and candidates that are showing humanity and laughing about themselves and doing a pop-up video out like not taking yourself too seriously. Yes, I'm running for election, but it doesn't actually need to be boring. Exactly. I can show you the how you can be involved and how it can actually impact you. And it could be fun and actually you know, voting is interesting. It's interesting and it and it can change the way you want to see the world based on these issues that you care about. I think you and I have had this debate before, but just as you were saying that, is it, and I don't quite know what the exact question is, but when you think about, do we vote people in office because of them, their personality, who they are, regardless of, and we don't particularly have to agree with 
their stance on all of the issues? Or do we vote people in office because we 100% align with one or two of the issues that they have? Like, how do we vote? Like, what's, you know what I mean? Like, are we voting for the whole person? We're like, I know I don't agree with everything that person, but I think they're the best candidate. And that's interesting because that means then you're, when you're running for office, you're running on the package deal. And is that changing that we're now running more on, you might not, I don't need you to like me in, in totality, but here are the two or three things that I believe you are going to really want to, do you know what I mean? I'm having a hard I time. I know exactly what you mean. I don't know what the question is. Like, has... Well, it is. It's how do people vote? And like, well, or maybe not how, uh, why? Why, why do people yeah. vote? It's why do people vote? And in the US in particular, like it just has to be because they don't have the, like, the actual infrastructure like you do in London, in um, the UK, where you're electing a party. You're not electing a human. There is a leader of Quite that party. Point. You know yeah. what I mean? Whereas here it's like... I am electing Dr. Oz. Sure, Dr. Oz is a Republican, but, like, I'm electing Dr. Oz because I think he's fucking cool. Thank God he didn't get elected. But, like, as an example of that, and it's why you see people who have these flamboyant, is the language I'm going to use, um, personalities get elected that aren't qualified for the job. Mm. Because they are, you know, they're the person. They're the one that people are excited about. They want to get behind. And, you know, irrespective of politics here, the same happens on both sides of the aisle. You have people who are extremely vocal. And that is what gets the attention of voters. To your question around the issue component of this, that's a smart campaign. Because the issues that Maura Healy is talking to me about will be different than the issues she's talking to you about. And if you're not doing that, then you've got a shit campaign manager. I feel like, Sorsha, next week we should talk about tying that. We should talk about what you noticed in these midterm elections around election. I'm going to call it like election integrity, misinformation, where, how, you know, how people, tying that back to the point that you just mentioned, we've got more young people voting more than ever. Okay, so we know that young people are getting their information and their news these days on TikTok and Twitter. What does that mean? Like, I feel like there's a good conversation we should have around there. And I don't know if there's anything more that you want to add about what we just talked about, but I feel like that would be a great segue for next week. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. Let's do it. Amazing. That's the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you do feel inclined to do so, please give us a review. This is absolutely what will help us grow. Thank you.